If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it to Psalm 107. We'll be in Psalm 107 during our time this morning from God's Word. I think we could probably space out Psalm 107 to about four or five weeks, but I give it one Sunday with you, so we're going to breeze through it. And I encourage you to come back this evening to hear Pastor Ben as he continues our study on the Gospel of Luke. But for this morning, it'll be Psalm 107. I'll read the first three verses, and then I'll drop down to the last verse, and we will read through the rest of the psalm as we go through the sermon. Let's turn to Psalm 107 and begin in verse 1. This is God's word for us this morning as his people. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Drop down to verse 43, the end of the psalm. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And join me this morning. The grass withers, the flowers fade but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do come now as your people. Father, we come to your word that brings us light in the midst of our darkness. Father, thank you that we are not left to ourselves, but we have your wisdom for us this morning. So come, would you speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit As we hear from your word, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want us to take a bit of an interlude from our study of Revelation. By my estimation, we've spent a little over 30 weeks in our study of Revelation. Pastor John started this study back in January. We took some time off for the mission conference, but we've really been trekking through this wild and somewhat foreign book in the Bible for a while now. Pastor John, as you've heard, is on vacation this Sunday, and it's hard to continue that, but it's also hard not to continue that as well. So I think it's appropriate this morning for us to have somewhat of an interlude. What do I mean by an interlude? Well, if you're musical, you know that a, an interlude is a musical composition inserted between the parts of a longer composition. It's the space between, moving from one to the next. Maybe you are someone who is involved in theater, and you might think of an intermission, maybe. It's, it's a break before you continue. Or maybe you're just a sports fanatic, and you're thinking it's more like a timeout. You're still in the game, but you need some time to back away, some space before you go back uh, into the game, space to prepare. That's what I want us to do this morning. I want to take some time or some space, a pause, if you will, to consider. Our series theme in Revelation is strength for today and hope for tomorrow. So what is it that you're facing today That requires strength. And what will happen tomorrow or in the future that requires hope? Well, your world might be nice and neat and tidy today, but only the Lord knows the future. And I will tell you, 
your whole world can change in the matter of seconds, in the matter of one phone call, like mine did on Wednesday morning. So let's take some time now, some space to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. We looked at Revelation at the beginning of chapter 14 last week, and I want to read verses 1 through 3 as we get started. This will be our springboard for this morning. Revelation 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of a harpist playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn to sing that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. As Pastor John said last week, God's people are singers. And as we're entering this final battle of Revelation, this celebration of the victory that has already happened, the final triumph of Jesus Christ, God's people are the only ones that can truly sing a song of celebration, a song declaring our victory over the enemy. Psalm 107 is just such a song that we can sing as God's people. Psalm 107 is our interlude this morning. Psalm 107 is our space this morning to consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So let's begin to walk through this psalm. First, let the redeemed of the Lord sing, verses 1 through 3 again. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. So from the beginning of this psalm all the way through the end, this psalm is calling us to consider the love of God. The overall theme of this psalm is the love of God. And so as we reflect on what the Old Testament says over and over again, this covenant that God has given to us or created with us, this loyalty or His faithfulness to His people, to us, we're moved as God's people to give Him thanks. Thanksgiving to God is our only proper response. And so this is a a psalm of thanksgiving. And so what exactly is it that we should be thankful for As God's people, what should we give thanks to God for? Well, let's just count the ways, right? Our life, our breath, warmth this morning on a cool October morning. But specifically, Psalm 107 zeroes in on God's love for his people. And it says a couple things about his love for us. The first thing it says is that God's love endures forever. I love the way that Sally Lloyd-Jones describes God's love for us in the Jesus Storybook Bible for children. She says, God's love is a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. His love endures forever. Verses 1 through 3 also say that God's love has redeemed us from trouble. And as this psalm unfolds, we're going to see various types of trouble 
Maybe your translation says, redeemed us from the hand of the enemy. So our trouble, our enemies that God's people have experienced, our battles before us. God's love endures forever. It has redeemed us from trouble. And it also said that God's love has gathered us from the lands. Look on the other page at the end of Psalm 106, just real quick. At the end of Psalm 106, verse 47, this is what God's Word says. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. This is the prayer, and Psalm 107 is the answer to the prayer. God has gathered his people back from the Babylonian exile, and Psalm 107 is the thank you note back to God, if you will. Do you ever write thank you notes to God? Personally, maybe you should. One more comment before we move forward in verse 2. The translation of verse 2, the ESV says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. To get closer to the idea of what's happening here, the NIV translates verse 2, Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Every child of God throughout history and even here this morning has a story about the love of God that rescues every child. Let me ask you this morning, what's your story? I was at the hospital uh, this past week with my mom and I've been there a couple of days and went to the bathroom and uh, as I was in the bathroom, a guy from high school that I hadn't seen in about 30 years said, D. Hammond? Yeah. Now, I didn't recognize him because he had a beard that was about down to here. And it was all gray. And I know that my beard will be gray when I grow it out. But his was all bushy. And, and uh, as we were talking, he began to tell me his story. When I was 11 years old, I turned to the Lord and the Holy Spirit came into my heart. Now, we're in the bathroom. I'm not particularly the kind of guy that likes to really talk to people in the bathroom. Uh, but he was telling me his story. He was the redeemed, and he was telling me his story. Your story is the song you sing. Are you singing? I believe this is appropriate for our time this morning because sometimes God's love seems distant to us. Sometimes God's love seems not to come through and if we're honest, if you're like me, sometimes we can get bogged down with the dragon or the beast or the numbers or the return of Christ. And so our interlude this morning is a consideration of the steadfast love of God and how he rescues his people over and over and over. So let's listen in as the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, as they sing their song. First, in the wasteland, verses 4 through 9. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. 
Now, this is the first picture of four pictures that we're going to see, four stories or four rescues that we'll see throughout this whole psalm. Each one of these groupings begins with the word some in the ESV. Verse 4, some wondered. Verse 10, some sat. Verse 17, some were fools. Verse 23, some went down. Each of these don't designate different types of people or different groups of people, but they designate different experiences of God's people being sent away into exile. Now, the first group we have, they are those who wandered in the wasteland. I think many of you know that J.R.R. Tolkien is famous for writing, Not all those who wander are lost. Well, this first group was very much lost. (laughs) They were absolutely lost with no way to get back home. It was as if they had no home to go to. Life in exile is life in the wasteland. Hungry, thirsty, faint-hearted. They had nowhere to go. And even if they did know where to go, they were too weak to get there. They had no strength. They had absolutely nothing. But when you're a child of God, you have everything. Their cry in the wasteland was to the one who would lead them when they were lost, nourish them when they were hungry and thirsty, and strengthen them when they were weak. And so we read in verse 6, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. God delivers His people. He rescues His people. And when God rescues, the only proper response for His people would be to give Him thanks. And so we see in verse 8, the psalmist says, Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. And so here we have this first of four groups that will sing the same song. It's a cycle, and here's the cycle. Trouble and despair, then a crying out for help. God comes to the rescue, and they give thanks to God for His steadfast love. Now, just a side note about evangelism before we move on. I was talking with a friend over the weekend, not in the bathroom, this is someone else, uh, about people struggling in the wasteland. And this is what she said. I know God sees the wanderers, but our role as God's family is to help the wanderers to see God. When we tell our story about the steadfast love of God, we help the wanderers to see God. When we condemn them about their story, that's not going to help them see the steadfast love of God. Same song, second verse, in the dark. Move to verse 10 through 16, in the dark. Verse 10, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. 
Life in exile is life in the dark. It's the life that has broken the law and ended up in prison. Throughout the Old Testament, we read repeatedly that God sent his people into exile because of their sin, because of them breaking the law of God and turning away from his word. Life in the wasteland is wide open, barren space with nowhere to go, but life in the dark, as in a prison cell, is closed in with nowhere to go. Maybe we can think of it this way. It's like life in solitary confinement. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to visit one of America's most notorious prisons, the U.S. Penitentiary, Alcatraz Island. Maybe some of you have been there as well. It's closed down now as a prison, but it's open for touring. And so we were able to take a ferry out to this island and spend the day walking around and seeing the different aspects of Alcatraz, listening to the details of this prison. And it was just fascinating for me to hear and to see. And as we were finishing the tour and we were getting ready to load the ferry to uh, leave the island, I picked up a book to read about the island. It was by Jim Quillen. It's called Alcatraz from Inside. It's a true story of one man's life of crime that eventually landed him to be a prisoner in Alcatraz. His life that began with an alcoholic mom and a, a father that seemed to be doing the best he could, but he was definitely absent and abusive as a father, probably very much similar to many of the families that the family advocacy ministry cooked for yesterday in the cookathon. And so Jim was in and out of boarding homes, and you could almost predict his life of crime while reading of his traumatic childhood. One of the most memorable parts of Alcatraz for me was D-Block. And if you've been there, you probably know what I'm talking about. But this is the way that Jim describes D-Block and Alcatraz. When he finally landed there at 22 years old, one of the youngest, most everybody else there as a prisoner was about 15 years older than him, and he was there to serve a 45-year sentence. This is what he said about D-Block. Walled off from the main cell house of the, of the southwest side was D-Block, the disciplinary unit of the institution as if the whole thing wasn't disciplinary. It contained 42 security cells, of which six were double-doored solitary confinement cells. They were called the black holes. All the cells on D-Block had steel walls, steel ceilings, and steel floors, as well as special tool-resistant barred fronts. Most of the cells in D-Block were larger, and they were better lighted than those in the main cell house. Now, I think that's very interesting. They were better lighted, but they were affectionately called the black hole. This second group lives in the dark, as in the black hole of solitary confinement on Alcatraz Island. But But verse 13 tells us that they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, And because the Lord hears the cry of the needy and he sees those who are in dark, God sees the ones that nobody else sees. He delivered them from their affliction. Even though they were the ones who, the text says, rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High, God still came to their rescue. And what's the only proper response? 
Verse 15, to give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. Same song, third verse, in the destruction, verse 17 through 22. Let's read that together. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word, and he healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. So some wandered aimlessly in the wasteland. Some sat bound by chains in the dark. And let's take it even one step further. Some were fools in their destruction. Now they're called fools here. But just to, be clear, just to be clear, this is not the flippant, playful use of the word fool. It's not like we would say, oh, he's such a fool. It's not that use of the word. And it's not the use of the word for someone who lacks an education. Foolishness, according to the Bible, is altogether different. And it's much more telling of a person and his or hers decisions. Tim Keller helps us to understand a little bit more. He says, fools in the Bible are not just regular sinners, but those who become destructively self-absorbed and self-deceived. The picture is of those who have badly damaged their spiritual and physical health through foolish, self-indulgent lifestyles and addictions. Maybe the modern use here could be the drug addict or the alcoholic or the shopaholic the porn addict, someone who's addicted, self-indulgent, self-focused addict. That's what one commentator said. This group coupled with those from the second verse, those in the dark, they find themselves in trouble because of their sinfulness. It's not like the first group, the wanderers, or the last group, the confused. We'll get there in a minute. These are the ones that just make bad decisions. Little bad decisions over and over become habits. And habits over time become a lifestyle. And this type of foolish lifestyle leads to self-destruction. Now, uh, Katie and I have kind of somewhat come to the point where our girls are at a point where they're going out and socializing and having fun. And so as they go out, we have the older two driving. And so as they go out driving... We'll say to them how much we love them, because that's important. And then we'll say to them, make good decisions. Because we want them to make good decisions while they're out and as we're not around as parents. And so, here recently, a couple weeks ago, I was about to walk out the door. And we, we've done this so much that they, when we say, we love you, they'll say back to us, make good decisions. <laughs> that's Okay. So I was leaving the house, I think I was probably going to run a couple weeks ago, and as I'm walking out the door, Natalie, our third one, yells down to me, I love you, make good decisions, as I'm going to run. But that's good, because we want to make good decisions, the only way we can make good decisions is because we are reading 
and living by God's Word. It's part of what it means to sing our song back to God, to live His Word. But even in our foolishness and our self-destructive ways, God never leaves us. He never turns away from His children. He is always ready to hear our cry for help. Think about the prodigal son from Luke 15. The one who disrespectfully took his father's money and he ran off to a far country. And the passage says, there he squandered his property in reckless living. Let's just say he made a lot of bad decisions. He was a fool. But Luke 15, 20 says, and you probably know this, and he arose and came to his father when he came to the end of himself. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. What a beautiful picture that is. I can just imagine the father sitting on the front porch, looking out, waiting for his son to come back home. And when he sees him, he takes off running. This is the same picture we have here. Verse 19. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. What's the response? Verse 21. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Are you picking up on the chorus here of this song? It's pretty clear. Same song. Fourth verse, in the chaos, verses 23 through 32. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord for his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, their courage melted away in their evil plight, They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. This fourth group helps us to understand that life in the exile is life in chaos. It's life in confusion. The sea throughout the Bible is a very deep and mysterious place. And even to an experienced sailor today who lives and conducts business on the sea, it can be a very dangerous place. In the sea, we can observe the mighty, powerful acts of God. Just consider Hurricane Ian that just swept through Cuba and Florida and South Carolina. According to World Vision, Hurricane Ian formed over the central Caribbean Sea late Friday, September the 23rd, as a tropical storm in the ninth, being the ninth tropical storm of the 2002 season. I think that's pretty interesting. Most tropical storms we don't even hear about. We heard about Ian. We heard all about Ian. But it's one of nine that took place this season. And I think that's much like the ways of God. We can see one thing that he's doing, maybe. But we're completely blinded to the ten other things that he's working through. Hurricane Ian is... 
the second deadliest storm to strike the continental U.S. this century behind Hurricane Katrina in 2005. At least 100 people have been confirmed dead. That's probably more by now since this article was written. It made its initial landfall as a Category 3 storm on September the 27th in Cuba, and it left all of Cuba without power. When it hit Florida, it was Category 4, and its center was reaching winds at 150 miles per hour. 150 miles per hour. That's power. That's our God. So I want to remind us of God's response to Job in his confusion from Job 38. This is what God said back to Job in his confusion. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Our God is the one who controls the universe, because he created it. Our God is the one who controls the ocean and the waves, because he created them. He controls the storms. And he's also the one that stills the storms. He calms the storms. So we see verse 28, they cry out to the Lord. And our response, verse 31, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. Now we've been tracking with this song of the redeemed, so let's move from the song to the great songwriter. Verses 33 through 42. He turns rivers into a desert. Springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction, and he makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Now, this psalm makes a transition here. It, it does a redirection or a refocus. Whereas we've been focusing on the groups of people, the focus now turns to God himself and how he chooses to work. Up to this point, we've seen in the wasteland, God brings refreshment. And in the darkness, God brings light. In the destruction, God brings healing. And in the chaos, God brings rest. In our sufferings and in our affliction, God brings strength for today and hope for tomorrow. We began with the song of the redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Well, their story is the proclamation that God always comes to the rescue. But now we turn to the great redeemer and how he writes the story, how he writes the lyrics. This is how God chooses to work 
This is his sovereign hand throughout history. He takes the high and brings them low. He takes the lowly and he lifts them up. He takes the evil and he gives them over to themselves. And to all those who are oppressed, he brings justice. In his sovereignty, he gives his one and only son to die on a cross so that his people would be forgiven of their sins. The sinless Savior dying for the sins of the world. God chooses to demonstrate his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let's consider verse 43 as we close out. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Consider the steadfast love of the Lord displayed in His Son, Jesus, our Savior. To the lost, He's the way of life. To the hungry, Jesus is the bread of life. To the thirsty, Jesus is the water of life. To the weak, Jesus is the strength of life. In the darkness, Jesus brings the light of life. He's the light of the world. To those who are facing death, Jesus is eternal life. To those who are in prison, Jesus is the freedom. To those who are foolish, Jesus is wisdom. To those who are suffering, Jesus is hope. And to those who are in chaos, Jesus is the rest. Jesus is the love of God, God our Father, on display so that we can turn to Him and find strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks this morning for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you that even though we feel like we're sometimes in the wasteland or we're in our darkness, Father, sometimes, uh, Lord, we fill our lives with self-destructive ways. Sometimes we're just in the chaos. You're the one that we can cry out to. And Father, we do cry out to you, and we pray, O oh Lord, that you would deliver us from our troubles. And Father, as you do that, as you always do, we pray that we would turn back to you with thanksgiving to give you thanks for the good things you've done in our lives. Father, I can imagine that in this room, each one of us is facing something different. So I pray that you would be Jesus to us, that we would turn to you and you would deliver us, and give us strength for today and hope for tomorrow, as only you can. We commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.